The Athletic. Totally Football Show. It's a Premier League weekend preview starring Manchester United, Liverpool. While Red say cheerio my Darwin, United look to beat them 4-0 for real this time and Cristiano shows he can still hit a post on Instagram at least. Also, angriest nation in the Premier League, Mateusz Nunch, strong on goals, less on vowels, Palmeiras and Peak Flamingo and can you shut your mouth and eat it? Our panel decides all that and more in this Totally Football Show. Thursday, the 18th of August. Listener, hello to you. And today we have for you Duncan Alexander. Hello, Duncan. Hello, James. Uh, hello to you. The returning Jack Lang. Welcome back, Jack. Thank you, James. Good to be back. And give it up, baby, give it up for the debuting Joby McAnuff. Good morning, James. Good morning to you. Good morning to Kaz B as well. Kaz says, delighted. To see Joby on the pod, big fan of both the man and the chant. Uh, also, Casby uh, says, after predicting Brentford's dominance last weekend, what does Duncan's crystal ball tell him this week? Uh, Duncan, for those of you who missed this, at our live event in Manchester last Tuesday, predicted, uh, well, it was an 8-0 scoreline in, in Duncan's crystal Pro ball. Pro rata, I was right, I think. So Right, mm. yeah. 4-0 first half. Bingo. What have you got for us, Duncan? I can't see as exciting a result this weekend, actually. I think it's going to go a little bit more to uh, to expectation. But um, Way to sell it. No, well, hmm. I mean, if Manchester United lose to Liverpool, it's not going to be a, a, as big a shock, is it? But right. Okay. Well Sorry, Caspi. You can't, Sorry about that. you know, Let's... the crystal ball is the crystal ball. If it's activated... Yeah. It's activated. If it's not, then it's just a bit of glass. Doesn't doesn't operate on a on an on demand banter basis, does it, Duncan? Yeah. yeah. Right. But this is the Premier League where the guest room is permanently booked out to Mr. and Mrs. Banter. Where will it come this weekend? Well, let's check out the fixtures. Saturday lunchtime, the early game is Spurs Wolves. Then at three, Everton take on Forest. Leicester face Southampton. Fulham play Brentford in the first ever top-flight West London derby. And there's Palace Villa, the game not the Bojo Donor wish list. Tea time, Bournemouth Arsenal. Sunday, it's West Ham hosting Brighton. One of those two teams has yet to score this season, and it's not Brighton. Leeds hosting Chelsea. And Newcastle take on Manchester City. Then Monday at 8, Man United face Liverpool. United. Oh, lovely ball. Salah's in for the hat-trick. He's overrun it. No, he hasn't. He scored it. Manchester United cut apart here. Salah for Diaz. And then with a flick over the top. Salah's in. It's 2-0. Baby, don't hurt me no more. The sound there, 
of Liverpool, putting nine goals past United across two meetings last season. Why didn't you put uh, any United goals in, producer Charlie? There weren't any. All right. Uh, okay then. So what we're looking at is a side off to their worst start in how long is it? Is it thirty years for Man United? And their next opponents are the team that nine nil them last season, with Mo Salah particularly active in that, as you just heard. Joby, what what do you think? How far will Eric Ten Hag be making his players run in training next Tuesday? <laughs> well, judging by the Brentford game, um, could be a few more kilometres, I've got to be honest, James, because they were absolutely all over the place. I think when you look at that as a statistic, it's very easy to sum up. It's effectively like having one, if you're a Manchester United team, less player on the pitch, and certainly from Brentford's point of view, an extra man. And I was shocked. I actually was there. I went to, to watch the game as a, a spectator. I've got to say, I was quite happy with the uh, the Liverpool montage there, um, hearing all the goals flying in. Um, as a Liverpool fan, um, I certainly had a lot of years where it was the complete opposite of that, where Manchester United were very dominant. And I think it just shows for me how far Manchester United have fallen, really. And I've got a lot of sympathy for Ten Hag, I've got to be honest, because he's walked into a, a really difficult situation. I think that thing of of effort. There's been a lot said about the ownership. Yes, it's not right. Recruitment hasn't been great. But for me, when I look at that group of players, there are certainly some there who are not given 100%. And when you see the the raw stats and, and the data mm. that come out of it, you can tell by body language. Again, I can look at a player and see, you know, when he's not putting 100% in. And that's who, the biggest thing that came out of that game. Who, who are we talking about? Oh, you want me to name names? I, yes. I'd say actually the vast majority of the players. And I think that is probably, it's not one or two. You can get away with one or two at times. Four nils and the result against Brighton happen when it's eight, nine, 10, 11. You know, and that's Mm. something that spreads really quickly. It might start as one or two or three and then gradually it spreads. And I just think the whole team at the moment is certainly not not pulling their weight. Do you think they also... They, to me, they look a bit scared as well. Like, you know, with the short passing at the back, some of the players were almost like doing that thing. Um, I'm sure you never did it, Joey, but I've definitely done it, playing at a much lower standard of like kind of showing, but not really. You know, you're like, eh, they don't really want the ball. Um, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Again, I thought that was really evident. I've got to be honest, Duncan. I think that's, again, for me, where I do have a look at the manager and say, tactically, you're asking those players to play out. We've seen Brentford before be super aggressive, you know, particularly, you know, we saw it against mm. Arsenal start of last year and they've gone out to target Manchester United. They've gone, right, we're going to go and lock on. We're going to stop them playing out. And again, that is one area I'd look at Ten Hag and say, right, he almost doubles down on it and goes, right, we're going to try and play out even more and get caught even more. And that's when the confidence starts slipping. You know, a good, good player like Christian Eriksen, you see the mistake he makes, when normally he'd be absolutely fine taking that ball and, and whipping it around the corner to get out of trouble. And there's just a complete drain of confidence in that group of players at the moment. Right. Are Liverpool the kind of team who you think might exploit with their high-pressing ways, that lack of confidence? I mean, it looks as about as much a foregone conclusion as you could, <laughs> you could get. Maybe I should say a, a four nil conclusion (laughs) yeah I mean it's certainly not the type of game I would want as a Manchester United player now given what we know Liverpool are going to be very aggressive with that press so I'd be really interested to see if Ten Hag makes a couple of adjustments listen what you need at this moment are big players big characters and Mm. for me Manchester United just don't have that at the moment so I think it could be a long long night for them crikey although Liverpool not quite at the races yet 
couple of draws Winless to kick their season Winless Liverpool, yeah. Well, 1-1 Monday night with Crystal Palace featuring, you mentioned aggression, uh, Joby, uh, Darwin Nunez getting a red card for his uh, angry assault on Joaquin Anderson. Oh, you've written about uh, Darwin. Is he that kind of player, Jack Lang? Um, from what I gleaned speaking to people who, who know him, um, the kind of aggression came up a couple of times, but it was more in the sense of uh, willingness to close down, willingness to, to take on a workload. He was kind of characterised as a very typically Uruguayan player, someone who kind of sees it as their personal responsibility to, to do their share of the work and probably even a little bit more. But that kind of like a dark side didn't really mm. uh, come through in those conversations. I don't see him as a particularly dirty player, but certainly the situation uh, just frustrated him. And I think it was just pettiness. I'm sure players coming to the Premier League, sometimes you have to learn a hard lesson, you know, or learn a lesson a hard way, shall we say. And yeah, that was just a case of Jerky Manderson using all of his experience. I don't know if he saw something in Nunez that he thought he could exploit. They they apparently clashed a little bit in a preseason game between the sides as well. But yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the actual incident Nunez got sent off for, that wasn't the first one. He swung his hand at Anderson a little bit earlier and that would have been a red card if the referee had seen that as well. So Anderson clearly got right in his head and Nunez is now going to have three games to to think about what he can do differently next time. Mm. Duncan, your take meanwhile is that Uruguay are the angriest nation in Premier League history. Can you put content well, like that up? Uh, I don't know. Um, I mean, based on red cards per minutes played, um, they have got quite a few, but not the, probably not the people you might think. So I think people would think of Luis Suarez, but he never actually mm. got sent off in the Premier League. Uh, mainly caught after the uh, after the event. Um, the the two Uruguayans to have three red cards are Gaston Ramirez and Miguel Britos, which is uh, mm. a bit of a left field shout. But but yeah, I mean, I think. I mean, that, I think the incident on Monday kind of proves the theory that you shouldn't play teams from your own division in pre-season because that, if they hadn't played Palace in pre-season, that wouldn't have happened. And these far-flung tours where, you know, you're suddenly playing a sort of generic league game almost, but in, a, right. in another country, it's not right. Well, of course, on that far-flung tour, uh, Liverpool also faced Man United. Remind me what happened in that game? 4-0. 4-0, but to Man United. Mm. I mean, just saying... Yeah. So if you're Ten Hag, do you say, all right, Ronaldo, with your notebook, you park yourself over there. I'm going to revert to the tight, spirited outfit that I had tearing it up in Asia back uh, not what a month ago. We'll see how they fare against this slightly misfiring Liverpool side. A Liverpool side that doesn't have Nunez, doesn't have a Diogo Jota and possibly won't have Firmino neither. What do you think? But does still have Mohamed Salah, who, oh, yeah. since Project Restart, is the eighth highest scoring player at Old Trafford um, in all competitions, which sounds good. If you're it's not a high fan. bar, is it, though? Well, still in the top ten for goal scorers in the last two and a half years at Old right. Trafford is pretty that good is for a Liverpool player. Yeah, yeah. yeah. OK. But, but, I mean, 4-0 a month ago to Man United against this side, and OK, it was pre-season, but... That's just um, a rhetorical battle. Yeah, I mean, so. it was it was pre-season, as you say. I, I think more more concerning for Liverpool would be just, I know injuries hit when they hit, you can't really control that. But for the second game of the season, I thought that was a pretty um, pretty ropey lineup, 
to be honest. Like the kind of lineup you might expect come Christmas time, January. But yeah, injuries really biting early. And you've got to wonder whether they will be tempted to go into the transfer market, you know, particularly in central midfield. I think Harvey Elliott did reasonably well against Palace, but, you know, Thiago injured. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain haven't seen him for a while. There's now news that Naby Keita might want out because he's not getting enough game time. And yeah, it's very early doors for this kind of mini injury crisis. And I wouldn't be overly happy with how the squad was looking if I was a Liverpool fan at this stage. Mm. A sentiment shared, of course, by United supporters. Have they signed anyone since we last spoke? The Rabiot deal's off. Apparently the latest... Hot rumour is uh, Christian Pulisic on loan from Chelsea. Mm. Well, even even since that, like the Telegraph this morning are reporting five names, like Pulisic, mm. Mounier, Aubameyang, Casemiro, Milinkovic-Savic now right. in the mix. Joe There's Felix also been has been Joe Felix, Anthony right. I saw yesterday. It's right. a remarkable... Russell Beardsmore, like... they're, all, they're all flying in, but... <laughs> Joby could get a game if he's if he's <laughs> still got his boots handy. They might be interested. Mm. I was thinking maybe more Wickham, which we might come on to later. They're with a bad start. That's probably the level I think I could go back into, even with Man United struggles at the moment. Not sure, but it's been that scattergun. You never know. I might have to just get a little last-minute pre-seasons training in. It just seems, honestly, all over the place and very reactive, you know, again, there's no structure to recruitment. You know, Jao Felix, if they did go and get him, where does he fit in? Does he fit into the way Ten Hag wants to play? How do Man United play now? Nobody knows, you know, and I think that's why it's, you know, been, yeah, it's just been an absolute mess. And I think Mm. that's where, you know, we come back to people behind us. You see a City, they wanted a striker last year, don't get him, don't panic. You know, we'll find our way without one. We'll wait for Haaland, you know, Liverpool, Obviously, sell Mane. We go and get Nunes. So there's there's structure there at most clubs, and there just isn't at, at Manchester United. And I think players that are then being possibly recruited see that they're looking at Manchester United now and going, "Oh, I'm not sure." Arabio, who you'd think would jump at the chance to to go to a Manchester United given his current situation, he's now thinking. And then maybe it's about more than Man United now. And maybe if the deal's not right, and it shouldn't be about that. It's his Manchester United football club we're talking about. Bingo! I think that's the difficulty that they are uh, facing. Indeed. That's a really, a really good point. I think that the young transfer. I mean, it's almost like clubs almost think that someone like Frankie De Jong couldn't pick up or turn on the internet and see the state of Manchester United. It's like, oh, yeah. Manchester United. I remember them. They're in England yeah. and they're good, so I'll sign for them. It's, it doesn't really work like that anymore. But I do think that if Liverpool do win this game comfortably, it could unleash right. one of the greatest final weeks in transfer window history. Because do you think? You, I think United will, if they're bottom of the league with three defeats and three, yeah, they're, yeah, the uh, they're trigger, have to go big. right? Because be, now yeah. bottom of the league with two defeats from two is not a dramatic situation. Well, they're already, as we've discussed, like you know, it feels yeah, so like. I don't the... see where you suddenly get this dramatic final week. You see a lot of names kind of put out by a random Man United transfer app generator. But yeah, um... but it's the scare. I think remember the was it after Arsenal lost eight two at Old Trafford? They went on a a concerted spree of players, you know, some of whom worked out, some didn't. Right. It could be that times 10, I think. Wow. All right. That's what Duncan's crystal ball has suddenly lit up mm. with. Is it going to be a comfortable win for Liverpool this Monday night, Joby, Jack? I wouldn't say comfortable. I think these games, regardless of what's going on at either club, you know what's at stake and 
you know, despite last season's dominance, I would say, over the games that between the clubs, I still I'm expecting Manchester United to come out and, and show something, you know, given how bad they've been. If there's ever a game for them to raise their levels, I believe this is the one. I still don't think they're going to be anywhere near it. Liverpool's striker options for me are probably the only question mark as to how convincing the win might be. Jack? Yeah, I would say a couple of goals. Not the routes of last season, but I think Liverpool will win, yeah. Okay. all right. Well, more on the Premier League and the delights in store coming up next as we move on to Man City and the top four race. Hello, I'm Ian Irving, host of the Athletics Manchester United podcast, Talk of the Devils. Join me, Andy Mitten, Laurie Whitwell and Carl Anker every week, but particularly this week as we gear up to the huge Liverpool game at Old Trafford on Monday night. We'll preview that match without paying any reference to our meeting with our rivals from last season, of course, and we'll also assess the latest twists and turns in Manchester United's roller coaster of a summer transfer window. You won't get better insight on United anywhere else and as you'll find you won't get better cocktails chat either just search for talk of the devils wherever you get your podcasts this episode is supported by fx's welcome to wrexham celebrity owners rob McElhenney and ryan reynolds's small town welsh football club has finally been promoted into league two after 15 seasons in the national league dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league will wrexham afc stand up to the challenge and rise again into league one fx is welcome to wrexham all new thursdays on fx stream on hulu this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Joby, you mentioned Man City being uh, on the hunt for a striker last season, not getting one, and they just adjusted and romped to the title anyway. Uh, Phil Witter writes in saying, if Cristiano Ronaldo had joined Man City instead of Man United last season... Would he have had the same effect on them, causing discord on and off the field? That's Phil's words, not mine. Uh, and costing them the title. What, what do you think? How would it have played out? Really good question. I think um, for me, there's a, a short answer and that's no. And the reason Ooh. for that is because we all know with Ronaldo, anyone who's followed his career, which we all have, of course, it's about him, Mr. Ronaldo show, wherever he's been. And he's happy when his team's winning and he's scoring goals. It's as simple as that. And I think certainly if he'd gone to City, they would have won and he would have scored goals. So I don't see the same scenario panning out for them. 
you know, I'm sure Pep Guardiola knew what he would have been getting into had he made the sign-in. Um, but there was obviously factors as to why he didn't end up going to City. I certainly feel he's been, not this season, but last season, a bit unfairly tarnished with this brush of he's the one who's unsettled things. That's the reason Manchester United didn't do well. He was one of the few players, in my opinion, last year that actually did perform. I had this when I was coming towards the end of my career. You know the time is ticking. You know your games are limited. And there's a real frustration at times. I felt it was one of the big factors why I actually retired. Physically, I was I was fine. But I'd come off at half-time or after a game. And if I didn't feel that other players were putting in the same effort I was, you know, I started becoming a little bit resentful of some of those guys. And for me, I started losing that that love and that enjoyment of actually going out on a Saturday and, and playing football. And I could see that in Ronaldo last year. I think that's really gone up a level now. And that's why he came to his decision. He clearly mm. can't say, after saying he wants to leave the football club, that other people aren't putting in the work this season because he's the one who's come out and said he wants to leave. So I think that's where he's got himself in a difficult position now. But I can certainly see why he's got to the point he has. Um, mm. But no, going back to the original question, I think City would have probably won the league by even more points last year. Crikey. Cristiano Ronaldo posting on Instagram on Tuesday about what he called media lies, saying he's got a notebook of all the uh, uh, mistruths and that we will know the truth after he gives an interview in a couple of weeks. Uh, not, I'm not sure if that's going to be an Amazon Prime special. This is the pre-hype whatever. <laughs> uh, but I'm sure we'll all keep an eye out for that. It Probably worth saying, a uh, uh, very good point you make about Cristiano's motivation and the particular mindset that he's been in this past season. He also suffered a family tragedy back in, when was that, April, which can't have helped much. Uh, with his uh, state of mind. Anyway, uh, there you go. City uh, survived comfortably without him last season and is doing pretty well this time around. Uh, They head off to face Newcastle Sunday afternoon. Uh, Saudi government just announced a 34-year jail sentence for a Leeds University student for tweeting uh, distant content. I bet Newcastle are relieved they're not in any way connected to the Saudi government because that would be uncomfortable. However, some facts about this game. These are the only two teams yet to concede a goal in the Premier League this season. City are on a club record run of 19 Premier League away games unbeaten. and They've also won all of the last five meetings with Newcastle with an average of four goals a game. Wow. Any reason this time should be different? Anybody? Uh, Newcastle got the most yellow cards for time wasting since the start of last season, so they might try and pull off one of the great <laughs> game killing performances ever. But no, I think they've started okay, Newcastle, but they were lucky to, uh, very lucky not to concede it at Brighton last week. And you know, Nick Pope obviously was the was the man of the match. Um, I don't know what the others think, but it feels like Holland might get more um, opportunities in away games than home games given the way that that City set up the season. So, I mean, sure, he'll be eager to get back on track. So, yeah, I think I think City will, uh, you know... Also, Guardiola's got a particularly good record against Eddie Howe. He's beaten Eddie Howe every time he's played. And obviously, City's incredible record against Bournemouth is the is the main driver there. But um, I'm sure there'll be a friendly hug at the end as, as City have won 3-1 or something. Hmm. Quite keen for Dan Byrne to be fit, because I think Byrne versus Haaland... Mm. It's kind of almost like circus levels of <laughs> tallness. I, I doubt there will be many individual battles this season that provide more 
altitude than that one. So that would be fun. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Uh, let's move on then while we await that fixture to see what the top four contenders are up to. So far, the Gunners are leading the way. They're going to be at Bournemouth this weekend. Chelsea and Spurs, fresh from their scrap at the bridge, are respectively at Leeds and hosting Wolves. Jack, who's this fellow Wolves assigned? So it's uh, Matheus Nunes from Sporting. I'm going to be writing about him after this podcast is finished. So that will be available on The Athletic. What are you going to say, Jack? In the next couple of days. He's a really good player. In fact, the kind of player who (laughs) I think it's telling that one of the first things that I uh, asked a couple of contacts in Portugal, you know, is he going to make it in the Premier League? Is he going to be at the right level? One of the first replies was, yeah, he's, he's too good for Wolves. Um, that may not go down very well at Molyneux, but I think they've done a really good bit of business here. Georges Mendes involved, so you know there are reasons for it. But I think he has the potential to be, you know, a Champions League player. He did well in the Champions League for Sporting. Pep Guardiola called him one of the best players in the world. In that kind of slightly weird, overbearing thing that Guardiola does. He's, he's nice. He's so so nice. Um, <laughs> but yeah, really talented player. Kind of tall, uh, powerful. Right. Uh, very good kind of spatial awareness kind of takes opponents out of the game in a couple of touches dribbles well kind of long rangey style good passer uh, I think he's going to bring a lot of kind of physicality to the to the Wolves midfield so um, you know definitely more physical than Moutinho or, or Ruben Neves and better on the ball than Leander Dendonka so I, I think he'll be a starter and uh, you know I think this will probably be a kind of stepping stone move for him because he looks really good Mm. His, his tactical breakdown's very much got a tick by the foot like a traction engine, a box. So that, that last goal that he scored for Sporting, an absolute rocket. Not, not sure if you... Yeah, that was his kind of parting parting present to the fans against, I think it was against Hill Ave. Uh, and he's, he's added that to his game. He used to be a kind of, uh, you know, control the game, but not much end product. But he's, he, he's spoke to a couple of his coaches and they've said he's added that to his game. Uh, recently. Mm. Wolves have taken just three points from the last 27 available in the Premier League. That's nine games worth. And facing a Spurs side who potentially will be all fired up after that game against Chelsea, although they'll be without Christian Romero. He's going to miss the next three or four weeks with a muscle injury picked up against Chelsea. Huh? Hand muscle from... <laughs> His absence will have his manager tearing his hair out, ironically. Although it would be expensive, actually, in Conti's <laughs> case, so probably best not. This fixture last season, incidentally, in February, saw Bruno Lage's Wolves beat Conte Spurs 2-0 there at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. What's the upset factor, do you think, this time? I think higher than might be apparent because I think Wolves have been a bit unlucky so far this season they they shouldn't have lost uh, to Leeds they they outplayed them and created a lot of good chances actually that Wolves are one of those teams that they when you think they're going to lose they win and, and vice versa so and and Tottenham I think we've talked about Romero but I you know what other changes will Conte make because obviously he didn't start the new starters so in the game so far but you know I think San has been pretty pretty slow um you imagine Richarlison might have earned a, a start in this game. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's definitely one to kind of look for the uh, the team sheets when they come out, because I think it could be, a, could be a few surprises. All right. Possibly Antonio Conte with a touchline ban. Has that been confirmed after his 
post-game red card at Stamford Bridge. Same story for Thomas Tuchel, potentially, for Chelsea's game away at Ellen Road. Joby, how much impact does it have when the manager's not there on the sideline? Um, I think it depends who the managers are, if I'm being mm. totally honest. And I think a Conte... For example, Spurs will feel it. You know, he's the type of manager who seems to conduct everything from the touchline. He, he seems to be able to transmit his energy onto the pitch. He, he's one of those, he kicks every single ball. And I think for me as a player, I'm not sure I would have quite liked being on the wing on his side of the pitch. I, got, I would have wandered over to the other side, I think, and sort of trying to pretend I couldn't hear him because he is one of those that sort of barks instructions. But you can see the difference he has made to this Spurs team and squad in terms of the mentality. So again, it will be really interesting. Again, you like to think players, once they get on that pitch, shouldn't need to have a manager, you know, in their ear the whole time. But I'll have to go back to uh, Emerson Royal, particularly on his side. Um, You know, I think he's probably benefited from that. So yeah, I think he will be a miss on the day. Um, But again, they should be able to deal with it at their, their level. Chelsea, as I say, are at Ellen Road. Not sure if Thomas Tuchel will be on the sideline for that. Leeds, so far so good, really, for them, no? A fine recent record, in fact. They've only lost three of their last 12 games under Jesse Marsh, so I think way more consistent than, than a lot of people were expecting. Yeah, they've looked good so far. It's helped that um, Rodrigo has kind of found his shooting boots. I think he's he's never been a you know, 20, 30 goal a season striker, but someone who can chip in with maybe 10, 15, and he's also fairly creative. And obviously in Bamford's absence, uh, that's important to have someone who can keep them ticking over because the, you know, him aside, the rest of the attacking department is kind of like pace and intensity, but uh, important to have someone who can put those chances away. So keep him fit and firing. And I think things could be looking fairly positive there. Mm. I think really disappointing to see Bamford going off um, in the last game. You know, we saw how much Leeds missed him at times and he's having a real tough time in terms of that fitness side of things. And I think that's one of the reasons Rodrigo has fared well so far this season, playing off of Bamford rather than being right up as the nine. I don't think that really suits his game. Um, I think he likes to drift into to little pockets and he arrives late into the box where when you're a nine, you're already high up the pitch and you're a lot more involved in that build-up phase so again another area that I'm interested I do like you know what Jesse March has done in terms of that energy again for me all good teams um, or all good managers seem to be able to replicate themselves you know out on the pitch and when I hear Jesse March talk and you know he's all about you know intensity and energy and enthusiasm when I watch Leeds that's definitely what I see you know Aronson's come in and, and really added to that Harrison, of course. And I think, you know, for me, he's really, really proved a lot of people wrong. I've got to say I was a little bit uh, doubtful when he first came in and whether that would be enough. You know, he did the first job, obviously kept them up. And now they seem to be moving quite nicely into to his style. And every coach needs a bit of time. And I'm sure pre-season he's been able to get some of those um, ideas into the players. And, you know, they've had a, yeah, they've had a really good start. Mm. Demonstration of... Every coach needing a bit of time, perhaps, is Mikel Arteta, whose Arsenal side are top of the table, which we're not, not, not allowed to look at yet, but still two wins out of two, and preparing to face Bournemouth Saturday tea time. Remember last year, when Arsenal began with three straight defeats, quite possibly going to kick this one off with three straight wins, and they're now being banded around by 
various other club supporters as a model of how to rebuild your squad. Of course, how they did it has been documented in the intriguing All or Nothing series. Has anybody followed this one? Producer Charlie has, and he's excited to reach the final episode, which features uh, Mikel Arteta reacting to uh, the defeat last season at Newcastle, which cost Arsenal a top four spot. Here's Mikel. They were 10,000 times better than us today in everything. We didn't have the right to play, we didn't win a f-ing duel, we didn't win a second ball, we were horrible with the f-ing ball, we had no organization, we have nothing, guys. Nothing. So now, shut your mouth and eat it. Shut your mouth and eat it. Would, well, you shouldn't, mean, shouldn't eat with your mouth open. Everyone. Well, that's true. That. But then it would be eat it and shut your mouth. Well, you could, you could technically probably eat through your nose. If well, I don't know what they're doing down at Jack, London. That's horrible. <laughs> what fuel or something like that? Don't ever eat through your nose. Anything passing through your nose, and you know, we've all been there. It's not a pleasant thing. But anyway, clearly Mikel's point. All through your mouth, nothing through your nose is what you're saying, yeah. Very much so. I've enjoyed it, to be honest. All or nothing. Have you followed mm. it, Duncan? Yeah, I have. I um, I didn't really enjoy the Man City one because there was no real drama. They tried to make out that dropping two points to Palace was a crisis when they were about 20 points clear. Not for me. Um, the Spurs one was obviously quite... It was the COVID season and it was a lot of... Mourinho. Mourinho as well. Yeah. Yeah, but it felt a little bit... I don't know. This one, I, I think, is the best of the, of the English clubs they've done. And I think mm. it's given a... I think it's shown Arteta in a in a in a light that maybe a lot of and I think a lot of Arsenal fans have said this as well that in a way that they possibly didn't didn't see and I think that's I guess the the idea of these sort of series I mean obviously they are going to be slightly you know soft soap towards the club but I think Arsenal's season last year was inconsistent enough to show the ups and downs and it's always yeah I think it's been a it's kind of given a bit more insight and background to to how he's turned it around, and we're now living through the the proof that he's done that. Mm. Joby, the, the attraction of these series is that they give us civilians the notion that we can get a glimpse of what it's really like to play at a top level football team. Is is that what they do? Is it realistic what they show? Um, I think that's the big point, James. I think the best ones are more re- realistic and not, you know, too edited and sanitised because I think that's what we all want to see whether I've played you know a game you know I've got to say in terms of that that last clip uh, it was pretty tame from some of the stuff I've heard over the years it certainly wouldn't be going out in any documentaries Um, what's the worst thing a manager's ever said to you Joby oh listen there's no way I could possibly repeat it on here go on Charlie can put uh... bleeps and and claxons god blimey yeah, probably just um, for <laughs> just questioning, I suppose. Yeah, listen, my my attitude, my desire, you know, okay. all that sort of stuff. Which all is right, let, again, as as a player, we yeah, it's, it's yeah, painful yeah, memories. Think, let's not let's not go there. Let's not go there. But sorry, you you were going to say? Um, yeah, listen, I think that um, I think from a fan's point of view, they're great to get that insight. I mean, Duncan made a really good point to see you know, how players are after games. Because I think there is sometimes a perception that players don't care or if they've lost a game, you know, if they, they really tried hard enough and, you know, does it really mean anything to them? And managers as well. And I think it's it's difficult in this day and age to get anywhere near Premier League managers, players and, and get that connection. So I think there is certainly a purpose to them. 
I just like to see them as raw as possible because I think that is what everyone wants to see and I think that will give you a true insight into it. So, yeah, I'm I'm not a massive, massive fan from my point of view if they're too watered down. I thought the Man City one, that really put me off. I was really excited to, to watch that one and I just didn't get anything that I didn't know. For me, I want to see something, maybe a player who steps up that you might not think would be the one who's really driving things in a changing room or, yeah, a manager's just absolutely losing it that you would never associate with you know someone sort of getting out of control so for me the more emotional and passionate and 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 real they are um i think the better they they come across for sure Mm. anybody know who they're doing this season i mean the dream would be manchester united of course but (laughs) but i guess we'll find out maybe around the time the world cup rolls around that's usually i think when we when they reveal uh anyway this weekend, Arsenal away at Bournemouth, who are still the bookies' favourite to go down. Seems a bit unfair after, yeah, they lost at Man City, but a nice 2-0 win over Villa the first weekend. Anyway, that game is coming up Saturday tea time. Can Arsenal make it 3-3? Three for three? Uh, Next up for us, quick check on the midweek Champions League playoff round first legs and the other games this weekend in the Premier League. If you're into your tactics and football analytics and you're looking for a deeper understanding of the game, you can join me, Ali Maxwell, along with Michael Cox and the rest of the Athletics data team for our Football Tactics podcast. Find new episodes every week on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Champions League playoff round first legs... Tuesday, Wednesday, Rangers up against PSV. First leg at Ibrox, 2-2 the scoreline. So Rangers with a bit of work to do when they visit Eindhoven next Wednesday. And the big clash of the vans, Van Nisseroy, Van Bronckhorst, Jack. Uh, Best part of this was Ali McCoist just saying something that I'd never heard before. After after Tom Lawrence's goal, which is which is a, a goalkeeping howler from the PSV keeper, if you haven't seen it, Ali McCoy says, "I'll tell you what, he's had an absolute nuclear." <laughs> I'd never heard anyone say that before, and I, I'm going to be using that left, right, and centre in my daily life. <laughs> Having a nuclear, having wow. a nuclear what though? I mean, meltdown, just, I suppose. But it's, it's so big, it almost doesn't need the noun. <laughs> it's just a state of of being. It's beyond kind of rudimentary concepts like nouns, articles, that kind of thing. Anyway, uh, having a nuclear. Very good. Uh, other results this week uh, featured Copenhagen taking a 2-1 league from their home clash with Trabzonspor. Benfica were away at Dinamo Kiev and won 2-0. Bodo Glimt are a goal to the good as they head to Dinamo Zagreb next week. Uh, Red Star Belgrade are 3-2 down against Haifa, Maccabi Haifa. And no goals for Karabag and Victoria Pilsen. Anyway, hmm, could be an interesting set of names in the group stage uh, when those games, those return legs happen next week. Anyway, uh, also midweek, here's a chance to talk about Duncan Alexander's Wickham Wanderers. They were in action in League One. How'd they do, Duncan? Uh, lost 3-1 to newly promoted Exeter City um, to continue a pretty poor, poor start. Three defeats from four now. So, yeah. Three defeats from four, mm. yeah, three in a row. In the relegation, relegation zone. Yeah, it's um, it's not been great. I mean, Sullivan replaced the goalkeeper, lost best central defender Anthony Stewart to Aberdeen, and 
iconic uh, forward, Bayo Akinfenwa, who obviously didn't start many games anymore, but was mm. very much a substitute option late on, which could change the game. And they don't really have that anymore. So it's, I mean, obviously Wickham quite famously direct, and that has changed the season. I think there's about seven or eight teams playing more directly than Wickham. So they are adjusting the style. So it is a sort of work in progress. But um spoke to Joby briefly before we mm. came on and, he uh, he told me to stop worrying, so I'm, I'm feel okay. fine now. Joby's currently waving a pair of boots in the air. <laughs> what does that signify, Joby? Well, again, if I was to think of coming out of retirement, right. which I've got to be honest, I'm not really going to, but um, Gareth Ainsworth, someone I know really well, someone I think I would love to play for. He really gets the best out of the players and probably gets a little bit more than most other managers can. So, um, listen, if this the form carries on the way it is, who knows? Wickham famously a team who signed a player off CFAC, so I'm sure they'd be happy to take one of a, a podcast. James, isn't, isn't you, know, right? <laughs> you know that triggers me. You know it's not true. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, good luck this weekend, Duncan. Uh, oh, speaking of this weekend and a little bit beyond the Premier League, Jack, you flagged up a pretty huge game over in South America, where the top two in Brazil are going head-to-head, and it's Palmeiras against Flamengo, which is whoa, a rematch of the Copa Libertadores final from last season. Yeah, becoming a bit of a grudge match, that one, really. They they could meet in the Libertadores final again. They're both in the semifinals. Um, they haven't faced each other yet, so they, they could be a rematch there as well. Top two in Brazil, Palmeiras, kind of, at the moment, kind of streaking ahead, but uh, Flamengo just... They just got a ridiculous squad, like by South American standards, but by any standards, really, just a lot of, a lot of names that people will recognise and adding to it all the time. Arturo Vidal has just gone there. Um, Eric Pulga, who's also a you know Chile international. David Luiz, Felipe Luiz, Diego, lots of, lots of Luises. Uh, yeah, Diego's still there. Uh, doesn't play much. They're trying to bring Oscar back from China. Um, that is kind of that's that's like strikes me as the classic player thinks oh you know what I could still sneak into the World Cup squad if I (laughs) play well in Brazil for six months and you know what he it's not a ridiculous concept because Hulk Hulk got in the back in the Brazil squad briefly after a really great season last year um that I don't think that's happening like his Oscar's club in China I don't think wants doesn't want to let him go to Flamengo Mm. but yeah it's a it's a it's a kind of a great little rivalry that's really seen those two just streak away in Brazil. There's There's been this talk, not so much the last couple of seasons, but previously, because those two are the best run clubs. They're economically kind of moving ahead. They're calling it the, the Spainification of Brazil. So this idea that two clubs are just moving to a new, uh, a new level compared to the rest. And yeah, I think it should be a, a decent game this weekend and every chance that they will be meeting in the in another Libertadores final before the end of the year. Wow. Can we watch that on UK TV? Uh, not as far as I know. Mm. Um, we welcome to join a classic blurry stream and spend half the match clicking out pop-up ads, which is, uh, right. I, I see that as the really authentic experience. Okay, nice. I like it. A bit like back in the day, and uh, still now, I, I struggle a bit with commentary from a European game that doesn't sound like it's dialed in from a... A phone box somewhere in in Belarus, for example. <laughs> anyway, okay. Um, over in the Premier League, which certainly hasn't been Spainified with a 
big two who are way better than everybody else. <laughs> uh, what else do we have this weekend? Ooh, Fulham against Brentford, the first ever top division meeting of these sides. A lot of simmering history between these neighbours, of course. Fulham victorious in the 2020 Championship playoff final against Brentford, but then relegated as the bees came up, sparking a chant from Brentford fans, bees up Fulham down, you know. So uh, a lot of rank, a lot of bitterness as these two teams prepare to face each other on the banks of the Thames. Brentford, of course, fresh from that win which you witnessed, Joby, over Man United. Is that kind of approach, is that going to pay dividends against the Cottagers as well, do you think? Well, yeah, I think certainly it's going to be, from my point of view, really interesting watch. I covered a lot of both teams, actually, when they were down in the championship. I've got to be honest, I'm a real big fan of Brentford in terms of the model. Generally, you probably can't get two teams, you know, completely different in the way they've gone about their business over the last few years. Brentford with their recruitment and buying players, selling them on and then getting to the Premier League eventually, whereas Fulham are kind of spend, 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 you know, we'll get there that way. So... Real um, clash of, I suppose, styles of clubs. I certainly fancy, you know, Brentford to dominate when it comes to the physical side of things. I think what Thomas Frank's done really well is adapted. So he hasn't gone up and they're different to the Brentford that were in the championship. They've embraced that physicality. And what I love to see is a little bit old school, but at times Ivan Tony's just got his hand stuck up saying to David Rea, look, just hit me. Just get the ball in a six-yard box, hit it from a goal kick and... In the Premier League, you don't see that a lot these days, you know, and I think that's something that I've really enjoyed watching. Everyone wants to play like Barcelona's teams and Pep Guardiola, but you've got to find a way to win. And I think that's what he's done really well. Um, So Fulham, again, generally, so used to having the ball in the Championship. They were up at sort of 60% possession last season, whereas this season has been completely different. Um, So that would be a big test. Who's going to go and dominate the ball but I, I really like what, what Thomas Frank and, and Brentford have done so far. And I think it'll be a yeah a, an afternoon that really probably shows where the two clubs are and, and what they can do this season. Interesting. Uh, Natalie was flagging up on Monday that the out-of-contract William, after his misadventures in Brazil with Corinthians, was on Fulham's radar. And in fact, he was reportedly at the Cottages training ground on Wednesday. William, is there anything to that story, Duncan? Or It was really nothing. Um, I mean, we do talk about, I mean, Joby just mentioned there how good Brentford's recruitment has been. And, you know, a lot of clubs these days are very, you know, going to a lot of depth, a lot of, uh, you know, incredible sort of scouting departments. But there is also the sense that if you just have a good game against someone, a club goes, yeah, he's probably quite good. I mean, Darwin Nunes played well against Liverpool home and away last season. Willian's best game for Arsenal, possibly his only good game, was away at Fulham. Um, and got a couple of assists on the opening day a few seasons back, so you do wonder whether they're like, oh, yeah, he's they're perhaps thinking he's better than he than he still is. So, well, it'd be an exciting move if it goes through. Oh, hello, here's Ander Itoralda, who says uh, the long-awaited return of Jack Lang plus the debut of Joby Makanov. That sounds exciting. Hope you've enjoyed it, Ander. Ander though has a question. And it is, who are the top three signings amongst the whole cargo shipment of players that have landed at Nottingham Forest? Wow, guys, can you pick three? It's been 15 so far. There's maybe four more. I'm just going li- to get a list up, actually. I've I- got a list here for you, if you like. Forest, where I just can't get enough, is not so much a theme song as a transfer policy. They started <laughs> off by breaking their transfer record to sign striker Taiwo Awani. 
on a one-year contract, presumably, from Union Berlin. And then you got uh, Julian Bianconi from Troyes. Me neither. Uh, Musa Niakate from Mainz, Neko Williams from Liverpool, Omar Richards from Bayern Munich, Wayne Hennessy from Burnley, Lewis O'Brien and Harry Toffolo from Huddersfield Town, Brandon Aguilera from Alajuelense, hmm. Oro Mangala from Stuttgart, Jesse Lingard from Man United, Emmanuel Denis, has that gone through? I think it has, from Watford, Koyati from Crystal Palace, Freuler from Atalanta, and Dean Henderson on loan from Old Trafford. Uh, before we get on to your three, have you ever seen anything like it, uh, Joby, I know when you came up with Reading to the Premier League a decade ago, there was eight new players signed that summer. What what was that like? Well, I think certainly for clubs like ourselves and certainly Forest, you, you need reinforcements going up. For me, we didn't get enough quality. Like I'm talking Premier League quality that is so mm. essential to go up. I think in Forest case, you have to factor in they had five loanees that were pretty much starters week in, week out for them last season that they haven't re-signed. So they, there was five players automatically that you're going to replace. And obviously, right. I think they're, they're really trying out. So, But in terms of the familiarity that the team have, uh, it, it, it's it's massive, no? How much work, how, how much time does it take for a team to be comfortable with one another? Well, it takes a lot. And I think that's the big thing. If you go up with a similar squad, um, you don't have that whole rebuild. I think only three of the players that started the last game were from last season for Nottingham Forest. So that's a huge turnover in terms of getting an idea across and, and a way of playing. So it is going to take time. I think they have recruited really well. We'll come on to some of them in a, in a moment. But they definitely needed reinforcements. That is going to be the question. How quick can Steve Cooper get across what he wants to do to that to that new group? All right. Who, who's, your, who's your big three then? Who who are the key my three? Big, my big three would be certainly Lingard's got to be a standout. Again, someone who's been there, done it. He's had a lot of stick for going there, but if they can get him anywhere near his best form, he's going to be a, a top player for them. A mm-hmm. club like Forrest with the greatest respect to attract him. Um, Dean Henderson, already proven his worth, I think will be a real smart signing. Um, and for me, Emmanuel Dennis... A player who struggled, uh, who played in a struggling team. He didn't struggle, but Watford did and still recorded, you know, 10 goals, six assists. I think is, again, it's massive for players to come in and have an understanding what they're going to be dealing with. And he's obviously got a good track record of that. So they're my three out of a lot. I see. Duncan. Yeah, I think Owen E's he started well, obviously. Um, and, you know, Carl Anker's been, was bigging him up last season as well. I think. Yeah, I think they've got options now with Dennis coming in as well. A bit of, you know, if one of them's out of form or gets injured, I think you, you do need that depth. Um, Neko Williams is is a good player. Um, it's, yeah, I don't know. I think Henderson as well is, is the keeper. is for, I mean, essentially, get a striker that score goals, get a keeper that can keep clean sheets, and you're probably going to be all right. So, um <laughs> it's I, just I wish really we hard, knew it was it? that simple, Duncan, yeah. 10 years ago. I've got to be honest. <laughs> But um, yeah, I mean, they were as we talked, or as you guys talked about earlier in the week. They um, they were pretty fortunate against West Ham. So it's very hard mm. to get a read of of these teams so far. Um, and obviously, there's still a week left to go. Mm. Uh, so who knows? They'll be bringing Pierre Van Hooydonk back before we know it. So yeah, <laughs> indeed. There's uh, some of the names that have been linked to them: Hassem Ouar, uh, Neil Mope, Morgan Gibbs White. Harry Winks, Musa Dembele, Ooh, also João Pedro, who was with uh, Denis at, at Watford last season. Jack, anyone you want to highlight or have the guys covered it for you? Uh, I think they've covered it. But 
I, I do like the sound of this midfielder, Brandon Aguilera. Some, mm. you know, sometimes you've got to get a little bit dirty <laughs> in midfield. <laughs> From Alajuelense. Where, where is Alajuelense? Uh, looking, it uh, looks like Costa Rica, is it? Is it? Okay. All right. Remo Freuler. Don't sleep on him. Mm. Anyway, uh, so Everton is going to be Forest destination this weekend. Their first trip to Goodison since January 1999. You mentioned Pierre van Hooydonk. He um, he scored the only goal of the game in that, which was interesting because you remember that was the season that he went on strike and then mm. came back. I think without his demands ever being met, I'm not sure. Well, he, he wanted to leave, didn't he? And, and Forrest said no. Ah, right. So, yeah, so no, they hadn't been met. Mm. That sort of thing doesn't happen anymore. Players just knuckle down, so... Excellent. All right, then. Uh, possibly on his way out of Everton. Meanwhile, is Deli Ali to Besiktas? If that's going through, wish him all the best in Turkey. Should we all love to see some top Deli Ali action again? Hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing how many wingers Everton can play this weekend. It's like it's like Brighton with attacking midfielders, like playing eight or nine every week. 90% of Everton's team is just wingers at the moment. Probably mm. in a 5 4 1 as well, which is. <laughs> Yeah, Dean Henderson, who's actually been the busiest Premier League keeper so far, with 11 saves cost two matches. Presumably this time he's going to have a slightly quieter time of it, given that Everton seem utterly incapable of constructing a, an actual shot. A lot of crosses, though. A lot of crosses. All right, then, that game coming up then Saturday, 3 o'clock. Also this weekend, same time, we'll see Leicester taking on Southampton. Leicester ever have a big win in a clash with Southampton I'm struggling to remember well we yeah we can't mm. mention it anymore we used to mention not mention it because Southampton fans said please please stop mentioning we lose 9-0 every season and then they didn't last season to be fair but oh. there's quite a it's quite a maudlin energy to this game now I think both Leicester and Southampton are sort of you know sort of spiralling towards a possible relegation battle so mm. uh, so this is an early season six pointer I would say wow Back in the day when producer Charlie was allowed to pick random titles for podcasts, Maudlin Energy would have been my pick. But, of course, now we're all search engine optimised. <laughs> Corporate overlords have got to us. Yeah. Uh, just one win in 14 Premier League matches for Southampton. Palace taking on Aston Villa. It's another Gerrard against iconic former Premier League midfielder turned manager. Fixture this one, this Patrick Vieira, his opposite number, of course. Palace, what did you make of their performance away at Anfield Monday? Jack? I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. I think their game plan worked well. It was fairly clear they didn't want to pass out from the back. So at the start, there were a fair few kind of slightly aimless balls forward that, that Zaha didn't make anything of. But they, they knew that they only needed to kind of isolate Zaha against Nat Phillips once. It worked. He scored. Um, Zaha actually had two more really good chances. I think they easily could have, you know, scored scored more um, and defended stoutly. So I think that was a a pretty a pretty good blueprint for for how to play against a team like Liverpool. Obviously, won't be able to do that every week. Um, but what I like about Palace is they they do now have options. They can uh, they can keep it tight if they need to and rely on Zaha's pace. They've got. Eze and Elise to come back who provide a little bit more 
kind of fantasy in the way they play, so they can, I think, break down teams who defend deeper. Palace are one of the teams that I'm quite excited about watching more of this season. Hmm. Very good. Okay. Uh, Sunday, meanwhile, 2 o'clock is the other game this weekend, and that's West Ham against Brighton. As I mentioned back at the start, the Hammers, the only Premier League side yet to score this season. Joby, you had a very young Mikel Antonio with you at, at Reading. What position was he playing back then? He was a winger. Um, he was a little bit unfortunate at the time. He was behind myself, so very unfortunate in that respect. Uh, <laughs> Jimmy Kebe was on the other wing, who was you know, a, a very important player for us. And Hal Robson-Kanu was the mm. other young up-and-coming player. So he was in with a strong batch of wingers at the time. And I, I just remember him, he was... Fresh out of non-league, typical, you know, young, a uh, little bit raw, rough around the edges. But what stood out was those physical qualities that have really made him, you know, the, the player that he is in terms of getting to, to West Ham. And he had to go out on loan. It was tough for him. It's hard when you're not playing regularly. And, you know, that first thought initially is, right, I want to get into this team. And then I think there's that realisation that might not happen. Um, you know, we had a fairly successful spell at the time and then he had to go off and, and find his way, which he did with a number of loans into League One. Then he ended up at Sheffield Wednesday in League One. Then they were in the championship. And that's where he really, you know, I think went onto people's radars. But what I love about Mikel is how he's adapted his game. It's a great lesson for, for kids that you don't have to be just one type of player. And he's gone and, and made that sort of centre forward position his own. He's developed himself. Again, it's easy to look at the physical attributes and say he's strong, you know, but there's so much more. He's turned himself into a good finisher. You know, he makes really good runs, always difficult to play against. And the fact he's made himself West Ham's top Premier League goal scorer is, um, you know, huge credit to him. So someone I've always followed his career and, you know, great lad as well. Great lad, good character. His celebrations mm. are, are brilliant as well. So, um, yeah, yeah I, if, if you'd have asked me then if he would have gone on to do what he'd done now, then mm. the answer would absolutely have been no, just because he was struggling to find his way a little bit. Um, so full credit to him for for doing what he has done and, and making his career as successful as it is. Brilliant. All right, yet to find the net this time around. It's going to be an interesting clash, this, with a Brighton side who, despite the departures, uh, are off to, I don't know, what do the stats say, Duncan? Is this a, one, of, one of their best ever starts to the Premier League? Yeah, it is. And, and this is their favourite fixture. They've never lost to West Ham. They've got, you know, we know Brian have some issues sometimes converting their play to results, but not against West Ham. In terms of how they're playing, they've already made the most high turnovers of any Premier League team this season. I mean, obviously, with the caveat that they have been able to play Manchester United, which most teams haven't yet. So it does boost your numbers a little bit. But um, yeah, they're looking really, really good. And I think if anyone's started the season well, it's Graham Potter's reputation, which I think is stratospheric at the moment. Very nice. West Ham are in action Thursday night in the Europa Conference League qualifier against Viborg. Viborg, who've arrived without two of their players, which this is very strange. They are playing a European fixture in London, but uh, the new post-Brexit uh, immigration regulations mean they weren't allowed to bring in a couple of their players for for the match. That does seem strange that you could have a match. Go ahead, Jack. Uh, if you want more strange goings on at Viborg or Viborg, I don't. Is it Viborg? I don't know. Whichever okay. of those is right. Just right. Uh, just remember that in your brain. Um, <laughs> I I just posted on Twitter. I wrote a piece a couple of years ago about one of the the oddest football stories I've 
encountered for a while. Like this this kind of fake footballer, this complete grifter who tricked four different teams in three continents to sign him within a year, despite not being very good at football. Viborg were kind of the the most well known of them. I've just posted it, reposted it on Twitter. You'll you'll find it if you have a look. Um, amazing story, and then it just ends in kind of violence and prison and. Uh, the kind of thing that I'm sure will be made into a film at some stage. Right. Much like, you know, the, the Extraordinary Kaiser uh, one in, in Brazil. Uh, Duncan, which current Premier League player was running through your banter synapses when <laughs> when Jack talked about a, a grifter who tricked four clubs into signing him? Yeah, you, you know me too well, but um, I think it would be cruel to to put that label on anyone in our great league that also once featured Ali Dyer. <laughs> Indeed so. Magnificent. All right, well, uh, anybody got anything they want to add to that, our preview of Match Day 3 of the Premier League and more? No, listener, looks like you're free to go. May I say many, many thanks to Joby for joining us today. hope we're going to be seeing you again soon. Jack, lovely to see you back again. I hope you'll be returning as well before long. And Duncan, many, many appreciative thoughts for you too. As for producer Charlie, and above all, you listener, have yourself a great weekend. Enjoy the football, I hope. And we'll be back on Monday to talk about what's happened. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.